Hello and welcome to Classical Guitar and Beyond. This is the first episode I'm releasing when we are officially into the summer. So happy summer, everybody. I'd like to just remind you to make sure you brew your coffee stronger if you pour it over ice. Don't want watered-down coffee. It always makes me very sad. Anyway, today's guest is um, Kenneth Meyer. I met him when I was in eighth grade, which was, I don't even want to think how many years ago that was. Um, I had a master class with him at the, I think it was the inaugural Great Lakes uh, Guitar Festival, um, and he's a fantastic teacher and player as well. And right now he's a Syracuse bass guitarist teaching out of uh, Syracuse University, and it uh, just worked out perfectly for us to meet up when I'm still here in Rochester to record a, um, a podcast interview. So it's great to see him again. Since his professional concert debut at Teatro de la Opera de Marque, Meyer continues to appear in recital as a chamber musician and soloist with orchestras and venues throughout North America, South America, Europe, and Asia. In addition to live concerts, his performances have been featured on television, film, radio, and most recently on the Albany and Innova record labels. Frequently in demand as a guest artist, at colleges and universities across the country, Meyer has given concerts and lectures at, among others, the Eastman School of Music, the State University of New York College at Fredonia, Syracuse University, Cornell University, the University of Southern Mississippi, North Carolina School of the Arts, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Hochstein School of Music, Delta College, and the University of Caracas in Venezuela. In addition, he is an active performer and teacher at music festivals and has been featured at the Rome, Alexandria, Eastman Guitar Summerfest, and the Diaz Guitar Festivals. Meyer's commitment to the cultivation and performance of new music has led to awards from the Barlow Endowment, the Argosy Foundation, and the Eastman School's Hansen Institute for American Music, interpretive instruction from Milton Babbitt, and premier performances of compositions by, among others, Leslie Bassett, Edward Green, Andrew Wagoner, Eddie Hill, and Robert Baker. His diversity as a musician has led to performances on mandolin, banjo, and electric guitar, with among others, the Syracuse Opera, the Syracuse Society for New Music, and the Broadway touring production of the Who's Rock Opera, Tommy. In addition to performing new concerti for electric guitar and wind ensemble, Meyer was recently featured with Cornell University's Ensemble X under the direction of Pulitzer Prize-winning composer Stephen Stuckey and a new concerto for guitar and chamber ensemble composed by Andrew Wagoner. Before our conversation, we'll listen to an excerpt from Ken's CD, Draw the Strings Tight. This is the title track of the album, um, by a good friend of his, Eddie Hill, the first movement from the suite, Draw the Strings Tight.
It's great to have you here, Ked. And I'm looking at this beautiful CD cover you have uh, for your record titled Draw the Strings Tight. And it looks like a really awesome project of very new music. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I you know, I, I came up as a composition major and a guitar major and grew up as like a rock guitar player. But I always loved sort of creating new music, being in on making new music. And now there are just friends of mine who do it so much better than I do. So I figured I would, you know, ask them uh, for some pieces. And I was very happy with with all that was sent. And this that CD is sort of a the end result of of all those friendships, relationships, and touring, and a little bit of playing, and and then recording. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's quite a program. I'm counting here. There's one, two, three five of your friends up here that you commissioned were. Yes, yes. And then the, the, uh, the Hedza, which is another monster piece. That was the homage to Bream, right? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I, I pull things from every player, but Bream was sort of, when you look at what he did for new music and for commissioning and, and, uh, and for the guitar rep in general, I just thought, and the first time I heard him play the Hedza, the recording back when I was a kid, I was like, that is, that's amazing. That That's even guitar music. Yeah. That was a real... That no, whole he, album, that 20th century amazing. guitar of his was like earth shattering for me. So, um, so I just, this was like a little homage to him, essentially like the whole project of just commissioning a bunch of new pieces, but then also including the Henza on there. Cause it's one of my favorite pieces, but also cause it was when I heard him do it on that recording, I was like, this is just beautiful. He it's too bad he doesn't play anymore. I mean, maybe he plays for fun, but, yeah. you know, he may be regarded not having the best technique out of all guitars, but quite frankly, I do not care at all about that. No, he, it, his all. technique's good enough. He's able to, I, I mean, these pieces, he's, he yeah. recorded and played are monster pieces. You need good technique for yeah. it. And his, just the range of colors and the phrasing and everything, yeah. I think was just so revolutionary. Totally. And, and all these commissions he did, you know, People oh God, talk yeah. about Segovia being the king of guitar. Yeah, Segovia got a lot of commissions and stuff. I I right. think the pieces Bream commissioned are so much more interesting. For the time, for sure. Yeah. And just for what he, I mean, he sort of, the other thing was that he looked to the to the composers of his country. Uh, he looked to the to the composers that he was going to school with. Yeah. And so I just kind of thought, well, I'm going to go with guys that I know, people that I know. And, and generally when I play new music, I don't play, I mean, I play new music, but... I take much greater uh, enjoyment out of being like right at the beginning of that process, you know, where you can sort of, you know, the composer, you get to and work and collaborate. Composer. Yeah. And, and some guys are, some guys want the input and then they come up with the finished product and other composers, you know, it's a collaboration all the way up until the third, fourth performance, you know, where you're still yeah. like working stuff out, you know? So and it's, uh, it's definitely finding a balance, uh, for this collaboration and people like you and Bream, I really admire because I really still hear the character of That's these composers. Like, yeah. What I don't like about Segovia is he just changed. It almost <laughs> yeah. ruined a right. lot of these pieces, especially right. the Ponce works. I mean, 
I remember I did uh, Sonata Romantica. Uh, that's the Segovia edition, of course. Right. That everyone knows. But if you look at their, their originals, I think Tillman Hopstock actually released the yeah. edition. Yep. Um, that's much closer to the original. There's just all these amazing, beautiful harmonies and counter melodies yeah. that we just never hear. But it's impossible to play them at the speed that we're used to hearing because of how Segovia simplified the score. Right, right. Yeah, I think there are some things that I think he does really well um, in terms of w with Ponce. Uh, when I compared, I think the concerto, um, he he made a lot of uh, some changes, but but some of them I thought, well, that that's cool. That's that flushes out a little more. Um, but he was kind of running everything through his sort of his filter of what music was to him, which yeah. was the sort of neo, not even neo romantic, just romantic. I mean, it was like, you know, he was, uh, he was a throwback certainly to like the, the 19th century. And to be fair to him and you know, what Segovia did was amazing. And I do thank him. Uh, if he's listening somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Ooh, you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go back to the practice room. No. Um, but even in getting into some of his old, like, old vinyl, because I, I was, I go on, I'm on all sides of the fence with Segovia, like, oh, damn him, oh, what a great guy. Uh, but some of those old recordings, man, they are just phenomenal. Absolutely. Like, no, it's the, old. The Bach recital and, and, like, old vinyl LPs that I just happen to stumble upon sometimes in, like, old stores. You're like, good Lord. And that's all, like, one take, you know? Yeah, it was before you could really edit out. <sighs> yeah, that's the stuff. No, he, it is too bad, you know, because most people only hear his newer recordings. Because I mean, when, when did he right. pass away? Was it the eighties or mm, I want to say or maybe 90s. early nineties? Yeah, like late eighties, eighty nine, maybe eighty eight. So the majority of the recordings that are available were at the very end of his career, and you know, I mean, right. he was still playing great, especially for his age. But right, so right, few right. people actually hear these old recordings, and as you're saying, I'm oh my god, yeah, just amazing. amazing. Um. And back to him kind of changing these pieces through his additions, to his credit, he knew what he was doing to make it playable on the guitar, which yeah. was very important because, you know, besides him and some other great players, the level of play was definitely much lower altogether sure. in the community. But also, I think it was really kind of the first time a lot of these more contemporary, at least to our time, these contemporary composers were yeah. writing for the guitar. Right. So maybe that's why you really kind of to lead to kind of make these very playable pieces to kind of give an example to future composers. Totally. And I think, I mean, I, I, this, this, you know, this recording has like five pieces on it by friends, but I've played a lot more than that. And every time you get a piece by a composer, there's always something that you Absolutely. need to be like, Oh, I can't quite grab that. Can we revoice it? Can we, you know, it's uh, when you first see a score, it's terrifying, <laughs> especially by a non and, and especially by someone who is not familiar with yeah. the guitar. Not that you have to have some sort of special code to write for the guitar, but but I if you're if you're used to writing on piano or for piano and you're used to that sustain and that register, then there's going to be a learning curve for both the performer and the composer, you know, to figure out how to make it what you want. The dreaded question I get a lot of times from composers is, how do I write for guitar? What are the rules? It's just, there's no way to really exploit it in a 10-minute, you know, you know, or is there? Well, the one thing that I come back to is, like, uh, and I think I think this is something that Nick told me, somebody told me, um, just, just write for the piano left-hand alone. Huh. If you can play it left-hand alone, because that's kind of the register. Yeah. You're not going to get, you're not going to be able to hold notes down, you know, if, if you want something to ring put it in a position and try to keep an open string here and there, 
what's really great that I've seen, because what's really nice is when I work with a composer, um, especially the, like all the people on the disc, I've played more than one of the pieces that they've written for me. Mm -hmm. So so we get a chance to work together on some other projects too, chamber pieces and, and, and other things. And the writing always gets better. It's like they, they, they get much more used to the guitar and, and, and I get used to their music and so it just, it facilitates it's a fruitful it. collaboration. Yeah, yeah. It, it grows and you get better as you go as both player and composer. It's really interesting about the left hand uh, yeah, style writing for right. the piano. Because uh, yeah. it's totally like... It, it totally makes sense. It, it, it reminds me of... I forgot if, if it was for the left or the right hand, but I think Brobs yeah, did an edition at the Chacon because yeah, his totally. wife broke her hand or something like... It, it, it was either one of his friends or maybe himself. Uh, but... Well, that makes total sense because the Chaconne is definitely a piece that works great yeah. on the guitar. Yeah, if you yeah. don't mind me saying it, I think it works best on guitar compared <laughs> to violin. Uh, but that is another uh, black hole we could dig ourselves into <laughs> yeah, and we don't totally want to go I there. I tend to avoid uh, best worst. I tend to because there's always going to be somebody. You're going to yeah. get phone calls from people right, at right. 3 in the morning. To... I, I, I mean, I'm always that sort of, you know, I like it both ways. It, it really, for me, it depends on the player because I absolutely, I've, you know what I mean, and the interpretation and, uh, you know, yeah. But that's just it starts with the with the music first. I think that's mm -hmm. just a magnificent composition. Absolutely, it's uh, man, I, I mean, I could do a whole episode just talking about that piece totally with people or by myself. But there's just so much to right on dissect about it. I will say and this is slightly unrelated, but uh, I was talking to Paulo Debt. Uh, about the piece and everyone talks about how the Chaconne it's the homage the funeral song to his wife right it's total baloney it's yeah. not at all <laughs> according to Paulo Dett and for those of you who don't know Paulo Dett he is one of the greatest early music specialists uh, for plucked instruments professor at Eastman I mean just is he, is he a Grammy winner he's or or I, I know he's won a lot of awards like awards that are yeah. harder to win <laughs> than the Grammys I for classical music <laughs> I can't think of a more recorded musician. Yeah. In terms of like no, all crazy. that he participates in, not just the solo things, but all the ensembles he's a part of. And yeah. Yeah. Um, no, he, he's, uh, it would be great to have him sometime on the yeah, show. Man, he's, uh, him on. he's an awesome guy. <laughs> and he's like, so he's just he's so, so entertaining. So, like, yeah. Well, you know, he used to open for Jimi Hendrix and cream with this rock band. Did it really get yeah, that far? It did. Because we he came for a master class at USC, and someone told me he opened for Yes. And I told it to Bill, and Bill's a big kind of uh, – yeah. Bill Cannon guy, so he's a big uh, prog rock guy. And so he had to ask Paul. And he's like, no, we didn't open for Yes, but we did open for Jimi Hendrix and Cream. And Bill and everyone else, we're literally just bowing to him. It's just crazy. You know, he's this little hobbit-looking guy with yeah. his sandals and his loot. You know, oh, man. <laughs> I, I, oh, I used to, I, he would come to a couple concerts. He like, as an undergrad, uh, that, that sort of 20th century guitar recording. And the first time I heard him play Dowland were like, cause it felt like both improvised and composed at the same time. You know, that's how much, that's how alive it was. And yeah. then when I went and saw him, he, you know, he came and gave a concert where I was at school and, and, uh, and a master class. And I was like, it's blown away by how free he was he that's when he like would come down the state he would like walk through the hall with the lute on the strap oh wow and he would dance and play the galliard you know <laughs> and then he would sit up on stage and play the rest of the concert and i just no he, he's mind-blowing and he can yeah. fill up a whole concert hall like a big orchestral yeah. concert hall and everyone would be dead silent no, no need for amplification beautiful. it's yeah. crazy 
uh, what I was going to uh, say with the Chaconne, apparently if you add a note from this section and that section and this section, according to Paul, it does add up to a funeral hymn, but it is so out of place. Yeah. It was not intended on purpose. And it's just crazy how everyone just kind of warped it into, oh, right. this is definitely the homage to the wife. And it's really too bad. I don't know. Uh, or well, I, I'm sure you've played it yourself. Yeah, it's, I mean, on the one side, it's a dance. And then on the other side, there is like that descending bass line. So you think like, okay, well, maybe that's some sort of funeral dirge, right? Yeah. But but, uh, but I, I, I love when I hear it played light. Yes, right? absolutely. Like sort of light. I'm glad but, we agree. But, but I, you know, but then I, I, you hear some, sometimes I hear it and I think that's just gorgeous. And I don't even like add a note, don't add a note. I like the way Angel Romero plays the Segovia edition. I love the way uh, Kevin Gallagher plays a sort of pseudo Barwaco, not too many added notes edition. So to me, it depends more on the the player, the interpretation, the person. How convincing it is. To, how, yeah. Exactly. How can first you got to have the chops to play it, but yeah. then you have to like have the the depth of whatever to to bring it off. I find a lot of times, you know, these uh, super popular kind of quote unquote like classic repertoire pieces. They're some of the hardest to pull off. Yeah. Even if they're not the hardest technically, and it's a very difficult piece. I'm not saying it's an easy piece, technically speaking, but to make a convincing um, interpretation that moves the audience. Or, for example, Loyenda, I will never play that <laughs> in a concert. I love it. Yeah. I think it's a great piece. I played yeah. it once. It is so nerve-wracking and just yeah. so much pressure when you're playing in front of guitars because it's like, this has been played a million times. I need to make this different or convincing right? for right. them to not think, oh, God, not another Leanda. <laughs> right, and very few guys, I mean, I've heard guys recently, even recently, do it differently, that piece in particular, and, and it's that's rare when you hear it like that. I think more importantly than the, te well, the, technically, yeah, the, the Chacon is difficult and Asturias is difficult, um, but for, like, for me, the Chacon is, was more emotionally, like how do you, 14 minutes yeah. on the guitar? like the nocturnal anything that gets into that like 12 minutes or longer it's hard to have a big scope for the audience to right, keep right. them engaged that whole time totally and yeah and not that we deal with limited means in terms of how loud we can get because we can certainly get quieter than most but you know you're you're dealing with a box with six strings and you're and then you could argue the violin's a smaller box and it's only got four strings <laughs> but still you're but trying they got to the bow. You're, you're trying to like create this this Thing, you know that that's going to span this this huge chunk of time that that's the for me that was the challenge with that's that why piece. i'll never play the nocturne i'm too scared <laughs> i you know i was foolish well play it before you get too smart like play it make the mistake when you're young i made the mistake years ago <laughs> and i i loved it I, that was the piece that first taught me like that music should have an arch you know yeah. like a piece should have an arch and i was uh grateful for that experience you know, that's another sort of Bream, Britain, you know, I, I love that piece. No, it's uh, it's definitely a classic for the repertoire. It's, uh, I really admire players who go out on stage and just play something like that and not even think about it. You know, yeah. I, I was talking to my mom and I was talking about how certain guitarists who are extremely successful um, with fame and everything 
totally deserving of it. Great right. players, but it's partly programming, right. you know, that yeah. helps. I really admire players that, you know, are just as strong of a performer, but not as much success because they kind of decide to do whatever they want for the repertoire. And, yeah. you know, for a career, yeah, you kind of have to program, but it's real. For me, I love going to a concert. Like, uh, like for March until the last time I saw him, yeah. he sat down. And it was here in Syracuse at the Great Lakes Festival. He sat down oh, and played. Oh, that concert the, was amazing. Right? It was yeah. opened with the Ponce, yeah, totally. the Variations of Fugue, off of La Folias, which is yeah. like a twenty-five minute work. Yeah, and just then, like it was nothing. You know, but yeah. it was amazing. And because it was the right audience, you know, yeah. very. Uh, kind of niche audience, you know, right. everyone's a serious classical guitarist for the most part. Everyone loved it, you know, so I guess you need to right. know the, the place, but it's performances like that are extremely moving to have like three or four of those works. I think he did the Seared Sonata. Yeah. yeah. He did the Diabelli Sonata to light it things up a bit, but that's still a right. monster work. I, yeah, I remember yeah. it was another, there was one other really contemporary work, but it didn't like feel like the concert dragged or it's just too much contemporary music he just no. yeah. there's something about his playing he just has such a scope with these enormous pieces yeah 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 that he can just capture anybody who knows right. at least contemporary music repertoire I, I remember taking a couple things because like we were I was at that concert I remember taking a couple things away from that concert one was that uh, and this is something I learned also from watching um, Dennis Azabagic play mm the Jose Sonata yeah. in front of a very conservative audience. And I thought, how is this going to go over, you know? And they loved it. I loved it. I mean, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful interpretation. And it always brings me back to like the two kinds of music thing. There's like just good and bad. There's not jazz class. There's just good and bad. Yeah. And uh, Marcin elevated the Ponce to like this masterwork status. I have always sort of regarded, I mean, I love Ponce's music. I think the concerto is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite pieces. Um, I've always thought, you know, he's a, he's a good composer. He's a good composer. But when I heard him play the folio, Whole other level. I was like, he, that is a master. That is masterful, the way that's written and the way he played it. And then to come out and play the Sierra after that, I mean, that was like, <laughs> oh, my God. To, to like a bunch of guitar players, you know, yeah, that's going to be a, a sort of rock star show. But I think that would have competed on any level just because his musicality is so his personality is so prominent in his oh yeah in his playing he's an interesting you know? guy as well I've always called him like a clean bream like just he's, clean bream he's like as musical <laughs> I love that he's as no, musical yeah if not more and and not that bream wasn't clean or you know anything like that but just he has this he has this precision and perfection of sound but but he has this but he doesn't lose sight of the important part you know I don't know what happens in Poland if there's something in the tap water that just <laughs> yeah, makes you a crazy know, player. Every <laughs> Polish guitarist I've heard who's a serious yeah. musician, just crazy. Yeah, I loved at that end of that concert, though, after all those crazy works that he did not want to play on encore. You could tell he was exhausted. Right, we right, had right. to have him come out like three times for bounce. He just played Capriccio Robbie and then just <laughs> yeah. walked off without right. a bow. He's like, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably went to grab a bottle of red. I know he's a wine guy. and uh... <laughs> There was. There were a few bottles after that concert. Yeah, yeah. Actually. I can imagine. Yeah, Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, I do a smaller sort of day of guitar festival at uh, Community College. Right? Okay, Beach. great. Um, and this year, we usually always have the GFA winner. So this year we'll have the the, the new, uh, well, not the new, the one who just won. We'll have the one uh, who won last year. Javier? Or? No, we just had Javier. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, 
I don't know how to. I, I, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this name. The, the guy whose name yes. begins with a T. Yes, and <laughs> phenomenal. I've seen like a couple different videos, and I can't wait to 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 meet him and to have him and to host him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that we've been so lucky with uh, with that organization and that tour that um, a small little college in the middle of Syracuse is able to bring in world class talent performers. for 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 a nominal fee and and sort of introduce that caliber of music making to to an audience yeah. i'm not sure if they still come out to mcc monroe community college but just a small community small community college of rochester not known as a music school at all although they do have a really good guitar teacher yeah, out there yeah. um but they would bring out the gfa winner there year after year and i think at least for me, it was kind of a life-changing concert to see. I oh, remember yeah. seeing March in there, and I think a lot of the students had probably just totally turned their thoughts around about music and maybe yeah. really kind of changed their minds about I how amazing it truly is. Back in the day, I saw a couple of it when they would come through. Um, yeah, always, always amazing. And they seem to be just, I mean, in the time that I've been to OCC, we've had uh, Ravjan, uh, Thibaut recently, um, Javier, uh, and Rajvan, uh, uh, Mama Kulif, the, uh, the Russian, yeah, Russian guitarist. He was just at GFA. Sweet he, guy. Oh, super nice guy. guy and great player. So um, musical, a passion. That was, as well. Oh my, that was the thing because he he might have been the first GFA guy. And then we had Anton and um, uh, we had one other guy, um, but. Rafshan was the first one that I had hosted yeah. because that was the first time I had the gig and the GFA guy had just been coming for years but this was the first time I had to host him and it was the thing I speaking of programming the thing I loved most about that concert where there were pieces that I just had never heard before yeah um, by composers I knew yeah <laughs> but some by I mean half his program was by Russian composers and I didn't know um, many of them it does really nice is he still doing the, is it a balkan set of folk pieces he's doing as well yeah he was back then i don't know what he i don't know what he played recently at gfa but there were some uh there were just some beautiful pieces there was an homage to tariga that i just thought was phenomenal um he played some he played some russian pieces based on folk tunes oh okay um and some i think that he had arranged on his own uh and it, but the music the musicality of it was just something that i had not heard in a guitar recital yeah. in a while. And it had been a long time since I'd seen a GFA guy. These guys roll into town and they're just, all of them are so technically proficient and such beautifully, uh, such musical players. It's awesome to see that that's what's getting awarded at competitions. There was a bit of a time period, like, I don't want to give any names, but like, I think it was kind of in between after March had won, and then before, I really like Vlad Gorbach's play. Oh, yeah. But in between those two, there's just some winners. I mean, they all great guitars, but some of them, it just kind of seemed a bit more they won because of the technique. You know, and totally deserving. It's amazing what they do. Right. But kind of recently, you know, Rashvan, Javier, all these guys, such yeah. musical, passionate players. And for me, you know, it's probably why I love your play. And, others you know i much prefer to go to a concert where the player is passionate they tell a story with the piece and they aren't afraid to push the guitar to its right, limits right. you know like i can't stand it when i go to a concert it's super clean even if it's musical but you can tell they're just holding back because they don't want right. to like uh, overplay yeah, the guitar it's like i want to hear the guitar yeah. buzz it should work for a concert you know i very much grew up with like 
the music of Jimmy Page and Stevie Ray Vaughan and yeah. that, that, that like hold it in your hand and shake it, you know, kind of guitar playing to my detriment, but also to, you know, to, no, it's, to the credit of like, be, you know, to wanting that. to like, you know, play the thing, you know, play the guitar, play the music. So if you break a string, do you uh, have a guitar change like Stevie Ray Vaughan had? Or not? <laughs> no, I did it well, one time. I was in a uh, just you know in between a piece of a uh, it snapped in, while I was changing the tuning, and I just didn't have a guitar tech. I had to run back and do it quick, and then came back out. <laughs> we'll get a guitar tech for you next. Yeah, but, that's right. But for those of you who don't know, there's this amazing video. Oh, you got it. Of, yeah, of, they got uh, to see it. I mean, he's just, I, I forgot what tune he was playing, but it was some little sister. Cause well, he's, cause he does like the verse and then it's like from the Austin city limits, right? Yeah. Oh, and snaps the string, keeps singing guitar tech brings another guitar. They just switch it off. Like it, it was planned. It seemed like your yeah. stage, even though it wasn't, and then it just keeps going. It's, yeah. That's so it's awesome. And the crowd knows, I mean, you can hear the crowd just erupt after he gets it back and then he, you know, goes to the four he was, and the band is in. I mean, his sound is just, I, I haven't heard any other electric players quite with his sound. His sound no, is just great. amazing. Yeah. And his point, every RIP, I mean, just such a talent for the oh, music God, world. Yeah. Oh, and that's the, you come back to it and you're like, you can tell in a minute, not even a minute, you can tell on two notes, that's Stevie Ray, that's yeah. B.B. King, that's Jimi Hendrix, that's Jimmy Page, that's Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck is another guy that, you know, I mean, these are all electric players, but, no, I, and you can I, tell, you can tell, I think you can tell Pepe, from Angel, I think you could tell John Williams oh, yeah. from Parkening. Back in the day, you could you could sort of Fisk from, you know, you can tell who's who. Well, I think it was in Peter's episode we're talking about how, you know, if, or maybe it was someone else. You know, if you gave these guitars all the same, like, cheap electric guitar, Jimmy Page, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jeff oh, Beck, yeah. they're all going to sound like they sound. I mean, yes, totally. the guitars, they have maybe some of the, 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 the pedal gear and everything can help with the sound, but really, you yeah. know, it, it is how you play your instrument and it's how you make that sound i just it, heard i heard something that bill kennegeiser said re just recently in an interview that i was watching on youtube where talking about how the guitar is such an intimate instrument and we all know that the guitar is an intimate instrument but then he he talked about how you really it's the only instrument where you're in contact with both fingers on a string mm -hmm. it's you know even with violin there's a bow in yeah. your hand there's a piano with a mechanism there's a pipes on horns and but the I guitar think besides is like, harp guitar is the most intimate right and the harp is the other one yeah. where you know okay feet but you still have to make contact with the string so i and i think that's where your tone is your tone is from like you know the knuckle down that's where at least in terms of yeah. obviously pepe right it's from your from your heart <laughs> but <Rub> your heart <laughs> yeah, see i can't i will never do the, it is cigar <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i've been it, People tell me I've been studying with Bill too long because now I'm trying to do impressions and I can't do them. And then I start saying puns and people are like, oh, no. Like Scott just looked down. Well, like you got a couple of teachers out there you could study from. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but it was but it was such a beautiful thing to hear him say because I'd never heard it. I'd never heard that reason. I've always heard it being intimate. And, yeah, because you cradle it and it sits in your lap. But it really is from the sound. It's like a nail, a string, and your other finger. Yeah. And all of that is totally organic. And I think... What I learned from Pablo Steidel, left hand can affect your tone so much as well. I think totally. we really totally disregard that. Oh, yeah. Vibrato. It, I mean, that's, that's... Vibrato and also just yeah. how you're hitting the strings and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this uh, quote from David Russell. You know, it's from his Tiny Desk concert. And, and the guy's asked, do you have a name for 
for your guitar. And I, I'm not going to try to impersonate his accent, you know, because it's like Spanish Scottish fusion. <laughs> like just Bill nails it. Yeah. You know what's funny really? though? There's a couple. Really? There's a couple that Bill can't do. I hope right. he's not listening, but like he can't do Zorn do Kitsch. Okay. Like that one's just so like in your face. His voice. I mean, it's a great voice. I love it. But anyway, D- David Russell said, "No, I can't name it. It would be too weird. I put it in between my legs all day." <laughs> It's like very true, very yeah, true. Just don't, yeah. I, you know, I think I named him when I was a kid. You know, I named all just my gets complicated. But then you're like, yeah. Then you have a divorce, and you gotta get. And a then new you have kid. to ask yourself, is it a man or is it a woman? Yeah, you know, right. Sometimes, sometimes it's like depends how many sound ports you have. No, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh wow, this might be edited out, but. Uh, <laughs> Technically, just, it is a ruck with, you know, I got quite a few. The six-pack option. I can hold it as a six-pack as I walk down the street. Um, really? Yeah. But uh, sound ports aside. Um, yeah. Cause some, Did, are know, there two sound ports at the ruck? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. It was, so uh, you, two tall boys. Yeah. Not two, a six-pack. Two, well, or, you, or you just like middle finger thumb it. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There old, we go. Old school six-pack, like cans of beer. Jenny Cream Ale? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. No, but that's that's the question that gets most often asked. What Do you name those? your instrument, or or no, what are the sound what are ports? Like what are, yeah. what are those? Oh, and and a guy just gave me the best response recently. He's like, well, because he he interrupted the guy who was hosting me interrupted and said, well, he couldn't afford the whole thing, so we had him cut out the two, <laughs> the two parts on the side. And I thought, oh, I'm totally. Stealing oh, that would that be nice if you got a yeah. discount for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know what I think about sound ports. I think in ways they're fantastic. You know, yeah. increased airflow. I love mine. Yeah, I love, I love the way they are on the side. I, 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 especially on a traditional guitar, like yeah, double tops and lattice braces with sound ports. I find they sound too booby when you're actually behind it. But a, you yeah. know, a traditional rug, you know, they aren't going to be like too boomy. And you know, rugs are just no. And I don't. I, I mean, I've played the ones where they're right, sort of underneath your face, and and they're they're fine too. Um, I, I think visually for me, that's just stranger. Like the, the one that seeing. bothers me is the Connor. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've. They're kind of these like almost many. oval, yeah, big oval, and they're very. Some people love them. I I can't yeah. stand them. They're very boomy lattice brace guitars. Does he make Does he make the thing that you can cover it? Yeah, he has he like does. the magnet thing. Yeah, you know, so I guess that helps. But I love what it does for the and and so whenever I'm asked the question about the side sound ports, I always sort of demonstrate by putting my fingers in there, and you really hear the balance of the instrument change. When, it, when they're off to the side. it's. I think it's good for chamber music. I think it's good for anybody to your left. And also for you it. to just enjoy it more. Oh, yeah. Because no, I guess, like, I, I'm just thinking at the back of my head, like, I guess one of the arguments for not having sound ports is, well, you hear it better, but then it's like, oh, what the hell? You know, like, it, this is our right. craft. You know, yeah. we should be able to enjoy the music as much as we can. You yeah, know? I, I've played some guitars where they're like, no, 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 it doesn't sound great behind it, but it sounds great in the hall. I'm like, well, what the do I want to play it? Yeah, right. <laughs> what do I want to play that for? I want to, I want to, you know, I want to hear it too. I don't want it yeah, to just no. be all there. Of course, you so. want the audience to enjoy it, but yeah. you know, I, I think a lot of times we forget the most important part to music is, yeah, to you enjoy to. it for everybody. Totally. And yeah. you're in your part of that equation, yes. you as the player. Absolutely. For sure. Thank you, Ken, again for being on the show. Next week, I'll be at the Hamilton Guitar Festival. I'm actually coordinating uh, the youth program. We have a day clinic for them, and they're going to open the Saturday night concert uh, for Jorge Caballero and the Loa Octet that I'm going to help direct. So I'm very excited about that. And I'm sure I'll be recording quite a few um, conversations and interviews over there. So stay tuned for our future guests. 
Ken wanted me to say that the Chacon recording he mentioned by Kevin Gallagher, he actually meant to say Franco Platino. Kevin has recorded 998, and that was what he was thinking in the back of his head, which is also a fantastic recording that's worth listening to. One well, today's episode with another excerpt from Ken's CD. This is the first of the Trace Tientos by Hans Werner Hensen. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time for Classical Guitar and Beyond. Thank you.